Have you ever done something uh, that you could maybe go back and change? You really wish you regretted it and you would want to change again. Um, I, I have. Um, around 10 or 12 years ago, um, I started kind of going to this kind of church Bible study group thing. And at the beginning of the year, you're supposed to register your interests, you know, your details, name, kind of like what we do. Uh, but you have to put like stuff like where you live, your birthday, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I kept on going to this, uh, this Bible study group that met on Friday evenings. Um, and it got to kind of the middle of the year, it was July, and um, it was kind of one of those moments in a group celebration where everything goes quiet and someone arrives with the cake. And I was like, oh, happy birthday time. So I was like, I, I, I like getting into the happy birthday kind of song. So I was like, happy birthday to you. And then there's a moment in the happy birthday song where we all pause, right? And then someone like says the name of the person and I'm like waiting for it. And then it's like, Jono. And I'm like, oh dear. See, right at the beginning when I was registering, I visited this, this church group with a friend, and we didn't think we were going to stick around at this church group, so we were being a bit silly as in our registration, and we put each other's birthdays down, and so they were celebrating a fake, fictitious birthday, which was actually my friend's birthday, who wasn't even in the group anymore. And so I felt really awkward, and I just kept on singing the song, because what, what are you going to do? And, and that, what made it worse at the end? They go, oh, what are you going to do on Tuesday? And I'm like... What's on Tuesday? And they're like, your birthday. And I'm like, oh, um, hanging out with my family. Um, 10 or 12 years ago, and to this day, I, I haven't brought myself to be able to tell them that it wasn't actually my birthday. Um, I'm not too sure whether um, this story is embarrassing or, or shameful. I do feel kind of ashamed for misleading people, not only once, but multiple times in, in a conversation that evening. But as I've kind of reflected upon uh, this week about that story, I think there's a difference between being embarrassed by something we've done in the past and being ashamed by something we've done. See, so often shame is like that, that stain in your clothes that you just can't get out. Shame kind of just sticks with you. It makes you kind of feel judged by others. You know, something that you've done that others may look down upon. I mean, have you ever experienced shame yourself? I mean, for, for some of us, the reason we feel shame is because we're different. Um, maybe physically, we're a bit not normal. Um, intellectually or financially, we're not the norm. Uh, maybe for some of us, we feel shame because of certain relationships that we've had. You know, maybe we get dumped by someone. Or maybe we, we get fired at work. Who really wants to tell others uh, that they were fired from their job? In many circles, that brings significant shame to people. People look at you differently like, oh, you've got fire, what's wrong with you? See, I think if we think long enough, if we think long enough about our lives, there's at least one or two moments in our lives when we, we feel shame or we felt shame. Right? We feel judged by others, very much alone, very vulnerable. There's that moment where you kind of just wish the earth would just kind of open up and swallow you because of that feeling of being the outsider, because of what you've done or what someone has done, something someone has done to you. Uh, this woman that we kind of just read about this morning, this woman with the bleeding, has a significant amount of shame attached with her. We're going to kind of see that later in this passage. But I think this passage is not just purely about the shame that we feel in life. I think this passage ultimately uh, points us to this reality that those who touch Jesus have their lives transformed. And so if you're a visitor here this morning, you're coming to find out a bit more about Jesus, can I, can I suggest to you that as you meet Jesus, maybe for the first time, as you read about Him in the Gospels, as you kind of uh, think about who He is and what He says He does, 
as you relate it to Him, your life will be transformed. Um, if you want to kind of follow along with uh, how we're going to look at this passage this morning, there's an outline in your bulletins. Uh, in, in three simple ways, we're going to think about the agony of shame that this woman feels, uh, the delight of restoration that she experiences, and I think we're going to finally see this passage really is about the hope that Jesus brings to our lives. So the agony of shame, the delight of restoration, the hope of Jesus. Let's first think about the agony of shame. Uh, see, we, we meet this woman in verse 25, don't we? A, a woman uh, that, well, she's got a, this medical condition. We, we see that she's in some sense, been bleeding, has this discharge of blood. Um, and we see that it's been for a long time. It's not just, you know, last couple of weeks I've had this, this problem for, for 12 whole years. And for 12 years, she's gone around trying um, to, be, to find a cure. She's gone to see doctors. She's spent all her money and still there's, there's no cure. There's no solution. But to really understand what this woman is going through, I think we need to, to recognize two things. Um, one, the severity of her condition, and the other, the length of her condition. I mean, think about the severity of con- her condition. We don't know exactly what her medical condition was. But we do know, it says, the Bible tells us that the medical condition, it's getting worse. It's not getting better. It's not like one of those things you just have to like, let, let time play its course and then you finally get better. It's getting worse. Not only that, she spent basically all her money to try to find a solution and no doctor has been able to figure out what the problem is. So it's not one of those things where like, oh, it's been going on for a long time, but, you know, I, I, the doctor knows what's going on. It's just got to hang in there. But we start to see that it, it's, in some sense, the problem here is about her medical condition. But I think there's a, there's a greater problem that we need to, to realize. Because of her medical condition, that she has this kind of constant bleeding, uh, she's labeled an outsider in this community. See, traditionally, uh, in, the, in the Jewish community, being clean was very important. Being clean meant you were accepted by God, it meant you were accepted by others. Now, I'm not talking about being clean like having showers every day type clean. Uh, it, it's how people were viewed by God. I mean, if you think about it, if you were to kind of go to uh, King's Road Road and ask someone, hey, do you think you'll, you'll go to heaven one day? And they may go, you know, I don't even believe in God. But they might say, if I did believe in God, you know, I think I'm a pretty good person, and so God would, would I, I hope he'd let, let me go to heaven. I think there's this kind of recognition that, that God likes good people, and good works make us more acceptable to God. And so, in, in a similar way, in Jewish society, only those that were clean, that did things that made them appropriate, were able to come to God. Why? Well, God is, is holy. We, we consider him so, so beautiful, so perfect, so completely other, that only those that started to kind of slowly become like him in his purity and wholeness could be in relationship with him, could have access to him. And so God gave Israel, the nation of Israel, uh, laws to, to kind of tell them who's clean and who's dirty and how you can go from being dirty to being clean, how you can go from being unacceptable to God to becoming acceptable to God. Let me read to you one of the laws that kind of related to this woman. Uh, it, it says this in Leviticus 15, verse 25. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at, at a time, other than her monthly period or a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. If you were in her position, you were declared unclean. 
But more than that, you were considered an outsider. You were, you were cast to the fringes of society. And the reason you were in this position is because you were declared contagious. Just like if you have a cold and no one really wants to kind of be around you because you might catch that cold, but to come into contact with an unclean person meant you were unclean, meant you weren't able to have access and fellowship with God. And so it was quite bad because if you sort of sat in her chair after she sat in it, you would be declared unclean. If you lay down in her bed after she laid in it, you were declared unclean. And so it's not like, you know, we can be in proximity, but as long as we don't touch each other, it's okay. Basically, to have any kind of relationship with this woman would have meant that you were not only unclean, but unable to have a relationship with God. And you can start to see this woman wasn't a very popular kind of person. Have you ever been kind of avoided by your friends? You know, they gave you the silent treatment because you did something to them. It's not the most pleasant of, of feelings. And so this one felt like that. She was constantly being avoided. No one wanted to have anything to do with her. And we kind of see this in our lives sometimes. We start to, to recognize that sometimes we do things that bring shame onto ourselves and, and it actually distances our, ourselves from other people. They're like, you did that? How, how can you ever do that? I, I, I'm going to hang out here for a while. I don't want to even know you. But I think we also start to see that, that shame makes us feel unclean and unworthy. And we, we don't really feel confident approaching God. But when we see the severity of her condition, we also note the length of her condition, right? The woman has this, this bleeding condition for 12 years. 12 years is a significant time. I mean, what were you doing 12 years ago? 2016 now, 2004. What were you doing? Maybe some people weren't even born 12 years ago, but many things can happen in 12 years, right? Your entire schooling education can come and go. Um, you can start to date someone, feel really excited, get engaged, get married, even have kids in 12 years. You can progress through multiple jobs. But for 12 years, no one wanted anything to do with this woman. Declared an outsider, an outcast, no one wanted to have anything to do with her. Imagine one thing. One thing right now that you wouldn't want the person next to you to know about. One thing that if you told them, they'd look at you differently and like, I don't, I don't want to, I'm going to sit over there. I'm going to sit on the other side of the aisle. One thing, if, if others started to know about you, uh, they definitely probably wouldn't hang out with you anymore because it would really shape and change how people thought of you. I mean, what would it be? Maybe um, it might be to, uh, to tell uh, the person next to you that you cheated on your girlfriend or boyfriend. Maybe uh, it would be uh, that you have an addiction of some kind. Maybe, um, God forbid, that you were abused as a young child. But imagine instead of being able to hide that, you wore a, a sign, a cardboard sign on your chest, and it was written in all its glory things that you did not want others to know about. And imagine walking around that sign for 12 years. People looking at you oddly. People walking around the other side of the street as they see that. 12 years is a long time. It's the pain and the agony that this woman felt. So alone and so isolated. And I think sometimes that's how we feel. But see, for us, we're, we're so often and easily able to hide what we don't want others to know about. Things that may bring shame to us. But that wasn't the case for this woman. She couldn't hide it. She was excluded because of it. 
what would you do? How would you respond? How would you act? Well, why don't we look at the story? I think that leads us to the next stage where she is restored, the beauty of restoration. See, this woman is desperate, right? She, she, and she sees or she hears about Jesus, the potential to her problem. And so desperately, she risks contaminating others and she approaches Jesus. But note how she approaches Jesus. She approaches him from the behind, the place of the outsider. Not someone in the crowd already, someone that has to come through others, risk getting people really annoyed because they're now contaminated. And what did she say in verse 28? Just touch his clothes, we'll be healed. See, so often when we think about people that are desperate, uh, we think they just do things irrationally. They break rules, they take drastic action to do whatever it takes to make something happen. I think, while that's true sometimes, so often desperation doesn't need to lead us to irrational behavior. It can actually make us more rational as we start to see a situation far clearly than we have before. So often we kind of think to ourselves, how can I solve this problem? Sometimes desperation helps us see clearly that we can't solve the problem ourselves. And I think in a moment of desperation, this woman had crystal clear clarity. I need Jesus. So what happens? She, she, she rushes towards him through the crowd, people going, getting annoyed, and she touches him, touches his garments. Verse 29, immediately, bleeding stopped. Amazing, right? Instantaneous healing. For 12 years, doctors couldn't figure out the problem, but as soon as she touches Jesus, she's healed. But what's more, continue reading. She was, re, uh, she was freed from her suffering. Not only was she healed, but she was now in a position where she could now be declared clean, restored to society. Pretty amazing stuff, right? Pretty beautiful to see a woman struggling for so long being restored. But I think what's more amazing than what, this ha- what happens in verse 29 is what happens after it. Jesus says next in verse 30, who touched my clothes? You can imagine those traveling with Jesus. Sometimes in church, it's a bit like this, right? Everyone kind of gets out of their seats after church finishes, and you're kind of bumping against each other. And it would be weird to say, who, who touched me? And the disciples are kind of going, you know, you see the crowd like milling around you, bumping against you. Why are you saying, who touched me? Have you ever been on public transport? Peak hour, everyone's leaving you know, buses or trains, all these weird smells coming out, and you're bumping against people, and, and someone shouts out, who's touching me? And you're like, dude, everyone's touching you. This is, a, this is public transport. Same kind of thing here. What's happening? Why is Jesus being so weird? Look, look he's not, verse 32, he's not dis- deterred by, by his disciples saying, dude, you know, it's the crowd. You've got to expect this. Jesus keeps on looking for this woman. Why? Why? Why is it so important that Jesus why doesn't he just let her slip away anonymously just to be thankful that she's now healed wouldn't it even be more embarrassing to kind of highlight her and get her to come up i think the key and the reason is this jesus comes not just to heal but to restore jesus comes not just to heal but to restore i think it's obvious that that this is a case as we look at the interaction between the woman and jesus look there with me in verse 33 and 34 um, kind of knowing that Jesus is looking around, what do we see? Uh, the woman comes and falls at his feet, 
trembling with fear and telling him what had happened. What does Jesus say? Daughter, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, in this interaction, we see two really important things. The first is it's the faith of the woman that brings healing. See, her actions weren't just some desperate, irrational, drastic act, a last-ditch attempt to try to get healed. Jesus highlights that her actions were grounded in. They were a response to who Jesus was. It was faith in Jesus that allowed her to be healed. The reason this is so important is that many would have known who this woman was. And many weeks after this moment would have seen that the, this woman was now healed. She was part of the community again. And it would have been easy to kind of say, you know, she was just healed because she touched Jesus' garments. There must be something special about Jesus' garments. I'm going to go find, you know, I'm going to steal his garments off the, off the washing line because they've got some, some power. No, it's faith in Jesus. She was responding to who Jesus was. It was for the community that, that, that this woman was brought to the front and center. But I think there's another key reason why Jesus so crazily looks for this woman and then calls her out. It's so that he can demonstrate that he truly loves her and seeks to restore her more than just healing her. So it's really interesting. We, we think that, that Jesus, drawing attention to this woman, is actually really inconsiderate. Like, you're kind of embarrassing her. You know, it's kind of a bit awkward that she's run through the crowd already and touched his garments, you know. But we start to see... There is a kindness and compassion in what Jesus has done. As he draws her to, to as he calls her to himself and, and essentially shines the spotlight on her, people start to see that she's healed. Jesus is essentially restoring her to the community. He's highlighting that she's no longer someone that's unclean, that should be ejected from society, but that's someone that should be welcomed back home. She's gone from being dirty and unclean to, as an outcast, and now she will be accepted and honored, loved by all. Not because she's somehow better, because she now is clean in the sight of God. Jesus says, go in peace. This is a very typical farewell in that time. But I think, I think these words carry extremely great weights. They carry and remind us of the position this woman now uh, has. A position of peace, of wholeness, of well-being, not just in herself and in the community, but in relationship to God. This isn't just a casual farewell by Jesus, but he's essentially declaring the place in which this woman now has to live. As we start to, to reflect on this story, I want us to see that these, this story reminds us of the hope that we can have, not just for this woman, but for each one of us here this morning, the hope that Jesus brings. That leads us to our, our last point. See, this is a great story about someone being healed, but I think it's a greater story about the hope that we have in Jesus. See, I read two stories, didn't I? I read one story about this woman that was healed, but I read another story about a little girl that was essentially raised from the dead. Uh, we need to see that these two stories are to be read together. There are so many similarities. Both people who are in need are female, one young, one old, but both considered second-class citizens in Jesus' day. Both suffer from some kind of illness, one that's incurable to doctors, one that's ultimately terminal. And interestingly, both have the number 12 feature, 
12 years old for the girl and 12 years of pain and suffering and shame for the woman. But I think all these similarities focus us on one thing. That thing is this. Those who touch Jesus have their lives transformed. Those who touch Jesus have their lives transformed. It's really interesting. If you, if you look through the Bible, if you read it from the beginning to the end, and you look uh, for moments that talk about touch, it's a bit of a weird kind of concept. So like, we don't think about touching people very often. But if you look at the moments uh, of touch, it's really interesting. See, if you were touching an unclean person like this woman, you were declared unclean. We read that if you touch a dead person, you too were unclean. But there can be worse things that happen if you touch the wrong thing. There's a guy in the Old Testament, which is the beginning part of the Bible, um, and this guy's name is Uzzah, and he's essentially carrying this cart with uh, the Ark of the Covenant, which is essentially a big chest that, that represents God's presence on earth. And he's kind of carrying it along, and it hits a, a pothole, or the equivalent in that day, and, and the Ark is about to fall off, and, and this man, Uzzah, uh, reaches up to kind of stop it, to stabilize it. He touches the Ark, and he's struck dead. Touch. So you get touched at the wrong time by the wrong person or thing, you can become unclean in the Bible. Perhaps, though, you'd even die. And so it's interesting to see what happens to Jesus. See, Jesus is supposed to be declared unclean as he's touched by this wound. He's supposed to be unclean as he touches this dead girl to heal her. What happens? Well, the reverse. A woman is healed and restored. A dead girl is raised to life. Instead of being infected by others, Jesus is infecting others. As people encounter Jesus, their lives are transformed. As you encounter Jesus, your life is transformed. And so we see here, these stories are ultimately about reversal. Those who should be contaminating others are being contaminated in a wholly positive and beautiful way. In Jesus, the system is changing. So often, it was, have I have I done enough? Have I cleansed myself appropriately in order to come before God? Have I done enough to make myself acceptable? Have I worked hard enough to overcome my shame? Now, in Jesus, there is one simple question. Am I reaching out and touching Jesus? Am I reaching out and touching Jesus? The reason is this. See, as you go through the Bible and not look for bad things when, happen, when you touch stuff, but, but good things, it's really interesting. In 2 Kings, which is another book of the Bible, uh, we read about how this dead man's body is thrown into an open grave. And in the open grave is the, uh, the corpse of Elisha, who is a prophet of God, a messenger of God. What happens when he, this dead body touches the corpse? This dead body comes alive get touched at the right time by the right person, you come to life. And so as we look at the Bible, the glimpses of reversal that we see are ultimately highlighted and climaxed in Jesus. For those who touch Jesus have an opportunity to experience immense blessing. Those who touch Jesus have an opportunity to experience something that we've all been created for to be loved, to be accepted, to be included instead of being judged and excluded. See, as you look at the Bible, uh, we read that in, in, in the beginning, God created a man, man and woman, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created to, to be in relationship with God, to experience 
unconditional love, acceptance. Not to be outsiders, but to be insiders with God. But as Adam and Eve live, kind of like we too do as well, they pursued their own desires without really considering how God called them to live. And because of that, because they essentially rejected God and turned away from Him, they turned away from the relationship they were created for. A relationship marked by acceptance, marked by honor. And so the Bible calls this, this turning away from God, this rejecting of God, the Bible calls this sin. And so as sin enters this world through Adam and Eve and through us as well, so too does shame. As people sin, as we live inconsiderately, we, we can quickly bring shame to others. As we sin, as we turn away from God, we can bring shame to ourselves, can't we? See, friends, that's why touching Jesus is so important. It, it reverses that condition, this condition where we're turned away from God and into ourselves, this condition which, where we are marked by, by a shamefulness and uncleanness before God. Touching Jesus brings us back into that relationship, brings us back into a place where we're declared to be loved. Whatever you've done, you're declared to be someone that is accepted by God, to be honored instead of being shamed. As we touch Jesus, though, we recognize that our shame, our guilt, everything that we feel makes us unclean before others and before God just doesn't disappear. It actually gets transferred. It's transferred to Jesus. See, as you look at the Bible, there's kind of this really amazing thing in the book of Leviticus, a book that reminds us of what clean and unclean is. There's a particular ceremony that Israel, the nation of Israel, perform every year. And in that ceremony, the high priest of Israel takes a goat and he lays his hands upon that goat. And God essentially declared that at that point, the filth, the shame, the wickedness, the evilness of, of the entire nation of Israel were transferred into that goat. And for a moment, the whole nation of Israel would be made acceptable. And so just as a high priest transfers or touches the goat to transfer wickedness, so too, as we touch Jesus, instead of us having to experience our shame and our guilt, Jesus does in our place. That's the, why, that's the reason why we read that Jesus dies on the cross. He absorbs all that is wrong with us, our sin, our rejection of, of God, our refusal to love others, all the actions that lead us away from God and make us unclean before Him. He takes that upon Himself and feels the brunt and the, the punishment of that. The story of Christianity is this. God made Jesus, the one who was perfect in obedience to him, to be one as if he was evil and wicked and shameful, just like us, so that we too could be people who experience love, honor, acceptance, relationship with God. You might be thinking, oh, I want to touch Jesus. This sounds like a good deal. Well, how do we do that? I mean, he's not here. You can't, like, touch him. Well, I think the, the key to this is in the stories, isn't it? See, the key wasn't physical touch. I think Jesus reminds us that, that touch was a reflection of a person's faith. But what does it mean to have faith in Jesus then? I think to have faith in Jesus is to see yourself clearly. It's to see that, that shame, your actions, will ultimately eat you up if someone does not come and redeem you, faith is desperate. It reaches outside of ourselves. It gives us clarity to recognize that only Jesus 
can do something about our situation. Faith helps us see that we don't need to bear our shame because Christ can do that for us. As we reach out in faith to touch Jesus, we are declared clean. Friends, to have faith is to simply say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. The hope of Jesus is that whatever our past has been like, whatever our future may be like, whatever we do that would make us an outsider, unclean before others and before God, Jesus makes us whole and clean again. The hope of Jesus is as we reach out in faith, we are declared those who are worthy of honor and respect, not those who are to be rejected by society. And so the question I have for each one of you this morning is, do you need Jesus? Do you need Jesus? I know I do. I know there is much in my past which makes me not only unworthy before others, they might look at me weirdly, but unworthy before God. I need Jesus to come and save If you're here this morning and you're wondering more about who Jesus is, maybe, how do I, I really like this idea of having faith in Jesus. I need Jesus. What do I do? Can I encourage you to maybe pray? Pray saying, Jesus, I need you. I turn from my sin, all that I've done that makes me unclean. I need you. I need you to govern and guide my life. Give me assurance that that I know you. If a friend brought you here, maybe it's a great conversation to have with a friend. If you just walked in off the street, I would love to have more of a chance to talk with you about what it means to reach out and touch Jesus. Friends, Jesus' offer is way too good for us to pass it up. I hope and I pray that we will all take advantage of touching Jesus. And we pray that we can do this. Father God, uh, you are greater and kinder uh, than we could ever imagine. And so we pray as we are reminded that those who touch you are declared beautiful and right, holy and clean, we pray that you would lead us to be people that in faith touch you. Recognize that we need you, that we are sinful, that we do not love others well or love you perfectly, but you give us a chance and an opportunity to grow in relationship with you, uh, to experience hope and certainty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.